Okay, so let's open our spirit wide and focus. Okay, remember that all ministry is the Holy Spirit who does it, so ministry is important. But the most fundamental ministry is the ministry of the Word. And so for 20 years I've been proclaiming this true Zoe ministry. And it's now, only now that people are starting to realize just how important the word is. For 30 years, what have I been doing? Eating the word, uh, repenting, obeying, and bowing down before God. That's all the Holy Spirit has demanded of me. It's not like I went somewhere to a seminar. It's not as if I went somewhere to receive teachings from anyone. All the Holy Spirit demanded me of to do is to eat the word, repent, obey, and bow down. And so if you eat the word in faith, the Holy Spirit creates all of this inside of you. Now maybe 0.1% there is a little bit of technique needed. But even this, regarding this, the Holy Spirit is more than able to teach you. For example, it's like this. 33 years ago when I first met with the Lord, the moment I met with the Lord, I became a Sunday school teacher. But even though this was my first time in my entire life even stepping foot in the church, and it was my first time preaching, and I've never been a teacher, and yet I was being a teacher. And yet, I did not cause any problems. In fact, I was more than successful. There are witnesses to all of this, right? which is my wife. She is my witness. Right? I was so successful. Where's my wife? Because the word of God was inside me, dwelled within me. So even though I've never preached before, I let the word inside of me preach. And that word teaches me. The Holy Spirit teaches me. But this doesn't apply only to me. It applies to you as well. So as you're listening to my word, what is happening is that within you, the word that is inside of you is um, resonating with the word that I'm proclaiming. And as that expands, you grow. And so hear the words in faith. Amen. And so if you listen to the word with your own thoughts, you will never grow. No matter how much you listen, it's only in faith. Amen. And so if in faith, all things are possible. There's perfection of the, of the new covenant. There's perfection of the temple inside of you. And that you are, and as God's dwelling place, glory comes upon you. That's why it's so important to receive the word of God. Amen. So now, remember chapter 1 and 2, we saw the judgment of the leaders of Israel. And in chapter 3, again, uh, God uh, accuses the leaders of Israel of their corruption. Right? This morning, God gave us a very important message. But if you were unable to listen, uh, go ahead and refer to the VOD in, on the internet. But now if we look from verse 9 of chapter 3, okay. Okay, so look, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 
is regarding the corruption of the leaders of Israel. And then chapter 5 and 7 is now the corruption of the prophets of Israel. And now chapter 9 is talking about the overall corruption of the people, of the nation. And so hear this, you heads of the house of Jacobs and rulers of the house of Israel. And so all these rulers, once again, he's he's reiterating this 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 corruption, this accusation against them. Remember, we talked about the relationship between Mushpat and Zedek this morning. And especially as leaders, we need to live with the righteousness of God. Remember, Israel lives by the righteousness of God, lives by the Zedek of God. That every day, the standard for our life is God's approval. And so I cannot take time to go over all of this all over again, okay? And yet, these leaders hated the righteousness of God. And when you hear this word, the justice of God, mishpat, mishpat needs to always go hand in hand with the word zedek. Remember, the righteousness of God is the standard of God, is God's approval. And what is God's righteousness in the Old Testament, the, the basic righteousness? It's looking for, out for the widows and the orphans. This is the basic of righteousness. It's not, it doesn't mean that this is all you do. No, this is the base. When you look out for the widows and the orphans of the community, what does that mean is, is that it means that you do not live for yourself. You do not live for your own profit. And so Zedek means that you receive the goodness of God. That where it does God find, where do you find God's approval? And when we receive that, that state is called Zedek. And so from the old, that's the Old Testament perspective. But now if we move on to the New Testament, oh, I'm saying this all over again. Okay, if you've heard this morning, listen again, okay. But if you come to the New Testament, it's the same thing applies. But, that whatever you do, you do according to the standard of God. You do according to His righteousness. And what is that? Is that through Jesus Christ, we have been declared as righteous. We have been declared as being without sin. And so that is, in the terms of Old Testament, it's Zedek. But in terms of New Testament, it's righteousness. What is righteousness? It's being without sin. It's being free from sin. And so because, and so you receive this, if you receive this, whether it's Israel or, or the church, uh, we are fundamentally built to meet with God if we want to receive life. And so if we have even one sin, we cannot meet with God. And so God sent his son to put him to death on the cross so that by his blood we could receive God's righteousness, that we are without sin. And so that's why I always say maintain righteousness. What does that mean? It means that in that relationship alone, in that relationship alone, should you determine what you are going to do. Is this difficult? No. All you have to do is receive his righteousness. If you receive his righteousness, 
Then his righteousness will determine what you are to do. And so it's not, oh, because I did this, I'm righteous. No, because I receive his righteousness, his righteousness acts within me. And so this world, this world is deceived in every way because they think that they are righteous because they do not sin. No, 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 no. It's not that you become righteous when you do not sin. No, you are, because you are righteous, you are not a sinner. You do not sin. And so it's difficult because I'm just trying to say again what I said this morning. But anyway, so this Zedek of the Old Testament and the righteousness of the New Testament is of the same source, has the same source. And so we need to have Zedek in order to meet with God from the Old Testament perspective. And in the same way, the New Testament, we need to be without sin if we want to meet with God. And so why is this righteousness important? What is the essence behind righteousness? It is that I am approved to meet with God. That I have the right to meet with God. And through meeting with God, my actions get determined for me. Remember, this is not theoretical. This is not ideological. Through Jesus Christ, Christ, through the sacrifice that he paid, we receive it all in faith. And when we receive it in faith, immediately the new being that is within you that can receive that meets with God. And as you meet with God, in that meeting determines your behavior, determines your actions. It's not because of my actions that I am righteous. No, through meeting with God, I my actions are determined. That is the life of righteousness. So this is the relationship between Zedek and Mishpat. And so, so to the righteous, if there uh, is there any trial over them? No. Right? Look at even Israel. God is always um, choosing to take Israel's side. In the same way with the New Testament, because we have God's righteousness, there is no trial. There is no accusation that can stand against us. So we do not have to listen to the accusation of the devil. We do not have to listen to his guilt that he piles upon us. And you've all heard this before, yes? So look, the leaders of Israel hated this righteousness. They despised this righteousness. And so, because they despised this righteousness, that means what? They automatically live by their own standards. Same thing applies to you, brothers. Remember, we kept talking about your kingdom, your sovereignty. If you have your own kingdom, your own sovereignty, that means that you are the standard for righteousness. You are the standard for goodness. And what does that mean? At the same time, what are you declaring? You are denying God's righteousness. So that's what it says here, that the Israelites rejected God's righteousness, that they hated God's righteousness. And if you do not acknowledge God's righteousness, you cannot meet with God. If you do not receive God's righteousness, you live by your own righteousness. And when you live by your own righteousness, that means that you cannot help but live by sin. 
And so we need to maintain God's righteousness. We need to continue to be receiving God's righteousness in order to say that we're meeting with God. Why should we meet with God? Because remember, that is our life's goal. Our life's goal, the principle behind our life is to meet with God. If not, then we live by our thoughts. That means you have nothing to do with God's righteousness. You're separate from God's righteousness. Okay, I don't want to repeat myself from this morning. But anyways, so they hated this righteousness. But remember, through God's righteousness, we receive faith. And through God's righteousness, we receive wisdom. Through God's righteousness, we receive power. And so if there is no righteousness, that means that our relationship to God gets broken in every aspect. God has nothing to offer to those who are not righteous. It's only those who have that relationship of righteousness with God who can receive gifts from God. And so if we talk about the spiritual mechanisms behind this, through God's righteousness, we receive faith as a gift. And that faith, in that faith, everything gets filled. Right, as, as Galatians 5.5 5 says, that in faith we receive love, we receive hope. And so without righteousness, what's the first problem? Is the problem of faith. Righteousness needs to live by faith. But if you have a problem with faith, you live by your thoughts. And so we need to continually maintain this relationship of righteousness with God. The one who is always maintaining this relationship, they will experience the great joy, the great inspiration, the great wonder. And as they receive that righteousness, they learn true reverence towards God. They learn fear towards God. But because you do not have this relationship, that's why you are not amazed. That's why you are not filled with that fear or reverence. For example, it's like this. Okay, so here, let's pretend that he is the president of Korea. And let's say I recognized him and I saw him and after one second I just went past him. I just passed him by. Would I be filled with joy? No, right? Right, with just one second just passing him by, I could not do anything. But let's say I meet with him and for an hour, two hours, 10 days then now his authority his majesty and and knowing what he can do I get filled with that wonder and so if we maintain righteousness and continually meet with him then we come to know his majesty and so amongst you Many of you live this way. You just pass the king by. And as you live this way, that's the problem. That's why you don't feel that. You're not able to maintain righteousness. You're unable to maintain the new self. And so, look, brothers, where is victory? Victory is continually receiving grace and maintaining the new self. The one who maintains that new self means that they're continually meeting with God. But think about your life. Some of you, even if those of you who are very good, your spiritual ability is good, you're going back and forth, back and forth. But that's a little bit better than someone who doesn't meet with God at all. But when it comes to what the Bible says, this is not the life that characterizes a righteous man. What does the Bible say? That we need to fix our eyes on God. 
that when Jesus died on the cross the, the, the curtain the veil that separated the Holy of Holies uh, was split in two in the same way we need to continue to meet with God in the Holy of Holies if we do not maintain that only those who maintain that is, is going to live by what the Bible says I talked about this in the book of Hebrews. And so these five systems of this world has been revolutionized by our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And so we need to continue to be meeting with God. Remember, this is normal. This is ordinary. It's not extraordinary people who live this way. No. If we have been saved, this is what Jesus Christ has done in you. Amen. This is all the book of Hebrews, right? It's not as if I could preach out of the book of Hebrews all in one night. So remember what this is. This is righteousness of God. Excuse me. And through that righteousness, in order to uh, fulfill the requirements of righteousness, God provided his son as the propitiation for our sins. And so remember, if you believe in the power of his blood, you are believing in the love of God. And so if you do not believe in God's righteousness, you cannot believe in God's love. Because of how much he loved us, he sent his only begotten, one and only begotten son to give me what? To give me righteousness. And to those who believe in this, who cannot live by their own ways, they cannot live by their own sovereignty. And yet, this, this corruption has, has nullified all of this. And so when they hate righteousness and turn away from good, and, then they are saying, it is saying that they are turning away from God, that they are not receiving from God. Because think about it, if you're receiving God's righteousness, you cannot hide, you cannot hide. Everything gets revealed. Oh, here's the dirt, here's and so the power of the blood comes into me because I cannot help but rely on him when I see this and so that's why powerful repentance comes forward we cannot hide from God can we when we open up and so in English this word is upright the upright relationship with God and so because they hate righteousness their relationship with God crumbles and so when this relationship crumbles what happens in verse 10 who builds Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. And so that means Jerusalem is transformed from God's center to Babylon's center. And so the church is transforming into a Babylon-centered current. And so that's why churches are obsessed with growing in numbers, having sound financial grounding. And look at the war of the church in this present day and age. They are moving by this Babylon. And so if we do not receive God's righteousness, immediately we live by the standards of Babylon. And so that's why the church runs according to the system of the world system of Babylon that's why it becomes a simple organization it's no longer the kingdom of God and this is the result of losing God's righteousness and so you struggle to have strength to have power and look at how terrifying this is so verse 11 
And again, he is accusing the leaders. Because they worship Babylon, because they worship strength and power, what happens? His head gives judgment for a bribe. And so remember earlier, we talked about them hating Mishpat. And so that means that they are, they are um, selling justice for, at a price. Its priest teaches for price. And so again, they are selling themselves to money. They, they are influenced by money, which is what Babylon considers to be important. That means that they have been influenced by prosperity. What is important, brothers? Is it, it's not important for me to say, I do not want to live by Babylon. No. What's important is to recognize is that, ah, the righteousness of God has failed in my life. I need to receive God's righteousness in order to live by His kingdom. But because you fail to receive His righteousness, you automatically live by Babylon. You automatically live self-centered. And so this system of Babylon enters into you. This system does what? Worships power, worships strength. And so your desires receive strength. Your desires for uh, possession, your desires for security, your desire for pleasure, your desire for success and fame and honor, your desire for idolatry. This happens automatically and immediately, not because I desire it, but because I'm living by Babylon. These are the things I need to satisfy the demands of Babylon, so I have to live by that way. I have to live for money, and so always the problem is that I never have enough money. The kingdom of heaven is not based on money. In fact, more times than not, it's when we are poor when we are rich. It's when we are weak that we are strong. It's when we are foolish that we are wise. It's more when we stand still that more happens inside of us. In my ministry, God has determined the works through my prayers, not through my actions. I wake up two in the morning, and as I pray six hours in the morning, that's where everything gets determined. That's where everything gets decided. That all I have to do now afterwards is to execute what has been determined in my prayers. It's not me doing. It's not when I do, but it's when I stop that God does more. So it's the kingdom of heaven is the complete opposite of Babylon. As I look at your faces, it's so funny right now. You're, you're looking at me as if like, oh, am I speaking uh, Chinese or Japanese? But look, I'm not teaching you some great secret. No, I'm teaching you the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is already upon you. And so because this kingdom is inside of you, why do you find that you're not living by these things? It's because it's not unleashed inside of you. And the first step to that unleashing that is what is receiving God's righteousness. That is the first step. Knowing that without meeting with God, I have no life. But you think that even though you don't meet with God, this is what you believe, that even though you don't meet with God, that you can live. That is your mistake. That is your delusion. That is your, uh, that is the lie that you have received. If you do not meet with God, if you do not receive God's righteousness, you need to stop until you receive that righteousness. But you don't stop. That's the problem. Remember, actions is an extension of God's righteousness. But those actions cannot define you. In our church, what's funny 
is that everyone seems the same to me. They're all in the same level, and yet they think amongst themselves that all oh, I'm more righteous than him, or I'm more righteous than her, that I sin only nine times compared to her ten times. But look. That's not what's important. It's about your relationship with God, right? And yet, you think to yourself, I'm a little bit better than him. Well, he sinned 10 times, but I've only sinned 9, so I'm more righteous than he is. That's Babylon. That is vanity. To, to a spiritual man, they are all the same, and yet they compare amongst each other. That oh, I'm eight, you're nine. Oh, you're seven. Oh, you're you are dirty. You're zero. Oh, I'm more kind than you. I'm more compassionate than you. No, you are all the same. If your relationship fails to receive God's righteousness, nothing. Is accomplished. Listen carefully, my brothers. Because you do not live with God, you are unaware of this. It's because you live by your thoughts that you are unaware of this. And so look, they live for money, right? It's all for money. And so continuing, as prophets practice divination for money. Again, for money. And so that means, and so look, it's funny. These prophets don't prophesy, they practice divination. This is a joke of God. Because they cast away God's righteousness, no matter what they do, it's not right. Even if they say they prophesy, what are they doing? They're practicing divination. How tragic is this? Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Look at how they lie to themselves, how they deceive to themselves. What is their prophecy? That disaster shall not come upon us. Their relationship with God has been completely ruined. And yet, if they declare peace, that is a lie. And I've said, I've had witnessed to this many times in our church, right? Someone it has no relationship with God, but they're earning lots of money. I say to him, that is not God's blessing to you. It is a curse. And I keep warning him. And if he does not repent and live a holy life, then he can not remain in our church and so I cast them out I kick them out no matter how much money they make because remember God did not build us to earn money that is not our purpose this is all Babylon it's not the kingdom of heaven and so cast them all out now of course I wait for them I give them opportunity even 10 years I waited for one 20 years I waited for one but if they don't transform when the times get filled I give them away maybe some I'll give them an opportunity for a month and after a month God says cast them out and I cast them out don't be scared though brothers don't be scared because it's about God right God and so verse 11 oh no verse 12 therefore because of you Zion shall be plowed as a field Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of a house a wooden height so this is proclaiming war right war is coming so because they are um, influenced by syncretism all the high places will come to a ruin and so if we uh, without relationship with God and live by the old self ultimately this is 
our destiny. It doesn't matter who you are. This applies to all of you. It's in that relationship with God that God glorifies our lives. It's not, oh, because I attend a church and as I live my life, God glorifies me. No. And I talked about the spiritual order of things this morning. But really, this spiritual world moves regularly according to that order. And so please, brothers, be aware of that regularity. Don't try to prove your own righteousness through your actions because that is not the order of God. If you do not receive God's faith and yet as if your works justify you, no, do not be deceived, brothers. Do not be deluded. And so when I meet someone, it's not their fruit that I look at first. No. I see, is their relationship with God a relationship of faith? If their relationship with God is a relationship of faith and there's fruit, then great, the better. But remember, our our zone ministry isn't about um, just just lifestyle no because lifestyle is ultimately going to emphasize what it's going to emphasize ethics going to emphasize is going to emphasize um, morals. Does that mean that live however you want? No, that's not what I'm talking about either. What I'm talking about is the important thing isn't the result, but the root. The root, your relationship with God. And so if your life, if you have the right root, then you will bear fruit. But let's say that you think that you have right relationship, that you have a good root, but there's no fruit, then you got to examine yourself. Examine yourself. See is your faith relationship of God, with God a relationship of faith and it may not be that's why you're not growing let's say that the anointing is the same if the anointing is the same you think that you're staying still but you're not staying still you are actually retreating you are not growing if you have a relationship of righteousness with God then every day the holiness grows your scale grows you continually bear more fruit continually cleansing purifying more and more that's inside of you to the point that you can embrace the entire universe. Amen? So let's move on to chapter 4. So finally, here we see the word of restoration. And so in chapter 4 and chapter 5, what you will see, what you will notice is these words continue being repeated. In verse 4 it says, It shall come to pass in the latter days. Chapter 4 verse 1. And then chapter 4 verse 6 it says, in that day again and then chapter 4 verse 9 it says now and also again in verse 11 now and so they, these common common and similar words are continually being repeated throughout this chapter right what, because the scene of the prophecy is transforming it's switching it's switching it's switching it's transitioning so he's seeing a vision and then another vision and then another vision. And so what's important to us is what is the time for time frame for these prophecies. And because we have preached out of all the book of prophets in the ministry, we know what the time frame is. And so this is the way uh, many prophets prophesy. 
Some people prophesy in chronological order according to the time, but sometimes that's not the case. Maybe he sees a vision, and that vision goes into the past, and then from the past, all of a sudden moves to the future. Because the Holy Spirit knows what event is important. And in that flow, what's important is is what is the Holy Spirit emphasizing. And so it's not about the time that's important, but the event that is important. And so in this way, we want to receive this prophetic method of Micah. Because now is the time for prophets like Micah to rise up. As I said in Zechariah, prophecy isn't just simply sitting still and then all of a sudden prophesying. No. Remember, even with Zechariah, for 30 years, maintaining fullness of the Holy Spirit, his spirit continually growing towards God, rising up towards God, and in that state, prophecies come forward. And so, brothers, look, look, in that perspective, how amazing are are the prophets as they maintain the fullness of the Holy Spirit, continually being inspired, continually being excited in that glory of God. And in that state, they are pouring out these prophecies. 200 years later, 600 years later, at the end of times, all of these times come and fold into one picture to these prophets. So how amazing are these prophets? Amen? And it's time for these prophets to rise up again. Does that mean apostles just play on their thumbs? No. So whether it's apostles and prof- or prophets, what is the common factor? Is that they have the truth system. Only the, one, those who have the truth system can stand as prophets and apostles. Second, common factor is that they are always filled with the Holy Spirit. If you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, you cannot live the life of a prophet or an apostle. It's impossible to live by your own strength. And so these two things are the common factors in apostles and prophets. The true system and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So now, chapter 4, verse 1 to chapter 5, or or chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 5, what is the time frame behind this? He is prophesying about the millennial kingdom. And so up to chapter 3, Micah has been prophesying judgment over Israel. And when is the restoration coming? The restoration is perfected in the millennial kingdom. And it's not just to Israel. This applies to us as well. Our perfect restoration is will be found in the millennial kingdom. And so our hope is for that kingdom. Our hope is not on this earth. Whatever we do on this earth is for that kingdom. And so if you lose the glory of that homeland, then your faith will be corrupted. So remember, I talked about a couple things yesterday about what weakens your faith. 
what weakens your heart. And so if you lose the hope for that day, then your heart will get weakened and you'll continually grow in the standards of the world. And as you grow in that standards of the world, or as you grow in that tendencies of the world, you develop a standard of the world. You need this much money. You need to dress in a certain way. You need to be able to speak in a way. And so the standards of Babylon becomes your habits. And so it weakens your heart. Weakens your spirit. And so it's the one who can hold on to that thirst for God's kingdom that will uh, stand firm until the end. We need to fix our eyes for that day because it's in that day that we will be restored. It is in that day that we will meet with Him in glory. It is in that day that our goal is fulfilled. Amen? It's not on this earth. And so I say to the pastors all the time, do not give your life for your ministry. At any time, you need to be able to stop because your life is for God, not your ministry. And so because you give your life to God, if you can lay your life down to where God wants you to lay it down. But if you lay your life for your ministry before God, then what happens is that that ministry becomes your kingdom. Remember, we live for God's kingdom. And so you may not be pastors, but the same thing applies to you. You need to give your life to God, not to your work, not to your career, not to your education, not to your business. If so, that means you are building your kingdom, not the kingdom of God. And so this must be clear because you have bet everything on God. And that means that your choices become very clear, very obvious. And so your motivation becomes what? That when I meet with God, will I meet with Him in glory? That alone needs to be your motivation and your answer needs to be clear. And so this time will determine that answer. And so let's say you meet with him. Or maybe you won't even be able to meet with him, maybe. But let's say you do meet with him. And you meet with him in poverty. That's that's a tragedy, isn't it? We need to be uh, inspired by that time. We need to be um, anxious for that time. Then we will not be influenced by the world. We will be able to stand in the kingdom of heaven. Amen? And so, let's look at this millennial kingdom. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And so, remember, the mountain of the house of the Lord is Mount Zion, And so, on in these end days, Jesus will come. And where does he come? He comes through the Mount of Olives, right? Because it's about 900 meters uh, in front of the Golden Gate. Okay, the 900 meters is just according to me, right? It's, it's not my words, it's Zechariah. And then, so we'll see that Golden Gate rise up from the, from the earth. 
right? Because right now it's buried under the earth. And then he will come through that golden gate. And we'll see the third temple being built, right? And that third temple will come crumbling down. And even right now, the Al-Aqsa Mosque will come crumbling down. But anyways, that golden gate, Jesus will come through that golden gate. And then 40 days later, the Millennial Kingdom will begin. And as the prophecy of Isaiah 61 says, that uh, the Gentiles shall rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And like it says in Ezekiel 40 to 41, for a millennium, Jesus will reign over this kingdom. And so this is talking about the new temple that will exist in that millennial kingdom. And this temple becomes the center, the headquarters for reigning, for sovereignty over all the world. And so it shall be established as the highest of the mountains, it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. And in reality, when he comes, that all the mountains in Palestine will come crumbling down, it will become flat ground, and Zion alone will go up to heaven. And like the prophecy of Isaiah 61, the Gentiles from all over the world will come to pay their homage to Jerusalem. To meet with our Lord. That's what this is describing here in verse 1. Now verse 2. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. So again, this is the same prophecy that Isaiah proclaimed. That they're going to worship God. They're coming before him with offerings. And this time is coming, amen? And so you need to determine one of two things. During this time, are you going to be seated with our Lord Jesus Christ as priestly kings? If so, then you need to stand as the pure bride in the wedding feast of the Lamb. And so within context of 1 Corinthians 15, it means we need to go to the uh, strive for the highest resurrection. As it says in Philippians 3, that I want to imitate him in his death, to know him, to know him in his death and his resurrection, and to uh, partake in his suffering, to suffer as he suffered so that in all things I can uh, attain the resurrection right and so in order to attain that resurrection we empty ourselves every day and in that perfection of holiness that perfect resurrection state it is those blameless that pure and blameless who will be chosen as his bride and like it says in uh, uh, Revelations 15 that these are the ones who will come with the Lord Jesus Christ and reign as priestly kings with the Lord Jesus Christ and they will reign over various regions and with the people of that regions they will bring them to pilgrimage to Jerusalem then what is everyone else going to do? the Bible doesn't give a clear answer 
But if we look to Matthew 22, what does it say? That they will be cast out into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This weeping and gnashing of teeth isn't hell. It's, it's that what they do, they realize. They realize that, wow, how great is the glory of God. And because of that, they describe it as weeping and gnashing of teeth. So they are simply the crowd. And these people means that for a thousand years, they will be trained in holiness and purity in some place. I don't know where, but somewhere. And so it's one or two things. Or no, one of three things. Because if you don't have any relationship with God, you won't even be able to go to the millennial kingdom, right? But because maybe you have a little bit of relationship, so then maybe you'll be in that place uh, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so in order to avoid this, what do you need to do? <laughs> no, sorry, sorry. In order to prepare for this, go to the dentist so that your teeth will be strong, so that you can weep and gnash teeth for a thousand years. <laughs> Is your teeth good? No. Oh, then I don't think you'll be able to gnash your teeth for a thousand years. Okay, you need to go to the dentist so that you can have strong teeth. If not, let us live gloriously, brothers. Let us live holy, brothers. Let us live by God alone. I would rather try to be holy on this earth than gnash my teeth for a thousand years. Okay, count the costs, brothers. What's easier? What's better? I don't think your teeth is good. Why, why go there for a thousand years to gnash your teeth? Okay, so anyways, moving on, brothers. And so they're going to come arrive in Jerusalem. And uh, that he may teach us his ways. And so who is he? Of course, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you look at Ezekiel 40 onwards, that there are two sacrifices a month. There, there is the worship of the new moon and the worship of, 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 of the Sabbath, right? And so on, sun, uh, on the Sabbath, the Lord will lead the worship in the temple and all the nations will gather around the courtyard and Jesus himself will teach the people. Now, of course, the priestly kings will not be in, only in the courtyard, but they will enter the gate and see the Lord face to face. And so apart from these priestly kings, no one else will be able to see God, Jesus, face to face. This is the prophecy of Ezekiel 40. And so these priestly kings have the privilege, have the right to meet with the Lord at any time bringing gifts. But the people, the people will be in the courtyard unable to see him face to face because they are not clothed in their resurrection body. They cannot see the glory of the Lord directly or else they would die. It's only those who have that perfected resurrection body, the priestly kings who can see him face to face. So who is this 
people. The people are talking about those who remain alive after the end of the war of Armageddon. We will reign over them for a millennium. And so look at your faith life. And you need to count the cost. See what is your destiny. Oh, let's go to the dentist. <laughs> Okay. Why? Because we need to weep and gnash our teeth for a long time. Or, or I'm going to come with Jesus Christ as a priestly king. If that is the case, then it will be clear how you are to live. Amen? Or maybe, hopefully, you have the luck to survive the Armageddon. Now, but to these people, the tragedy is that they will not be able to be clothed in the resurrection life. And so, whether this or that, I think the first option is the best, right? To come as the priestly kings. Amen? And going beyond that, you are eating the word of the remnant, right? And so, you have every advantage. Amen? And so, anyways, he will teach them his ways. And so this isn't going to be determined in that day, but rather even now in the remnant, God is doing this. Because remember, a preacher doesn't teach from his thoughts, from his methods. As 1 John says, uh, chapter 2, verse 22 says, that let the anointing teaches you, that you should not teach the word through your methods, because then what you're going to do is bind them. They're going to lose holiness. They're going to lose the greatness of God. And so for this reason, the word must be preached in anointing. That way they can see the greatness of God. That way they can taste God's freedom. That's why they can experience God's holiness. And how you receive that is now your responsibility. But as a preacher, you need to preach in that, in that, uh, what's it called? In the anointing. And so what that does that mean? That Jesus himself teaches us directly. And so again, uh, that he teaches his ways that we may walk in his ways and so as the millennial kingdom there is no limitation because there is no devil that when God speaks it happens as it is and so that we may walk in his path for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem and so it's in that day that we can see uh, the word of the Lord going forth from Zion all over the world look they're going to move according to the word that flows forth from Zion, from Jerusalem. Even now, we know that the world moves according to the word proclaimed by the church. But when millennial kingdom comes, we will see the fruition, the perfection of this word. That the entire world moves according to the word that is proclaimed from Jerusalem, from Zion. Oh, I'm going to go there as a priestly king. That this is my only hope. My only hope is to see him face to face. I don't want to be outside of the gate. I do not want to be in the courts just seeing, just hoping for a glimpse. No, I want to see him face to face. How much more should we not be in the dark? where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, teacher, Deum, which one do you want? Which one do you want? 
Uh, he's going to uh, be in the courtyard hoping for a glimpse. Do you want to take someone with you? Uh, not my son. My son is going to be a priestly king with me. Hey, you have good teeth. Why not go into the darkness? Okay, verse 3. So because he teaches us directly, what happens? He shall judge between many peoples and... And so when the millennial kingdom, there will still be the races of the world, the nations of the world. And for example, from Daniel 7, most of the nations will have their same names. For example, will Korea exist? I believe so. Because Korea as a nation is also the, their race, right? They are a nation state. Right? We are this state, this, this tribe that has this nation for 5,000 years, right? And so Korea, I believe, will for sure will be exist during the Roman Kingdom because the nations will be divided according to their tribes, not according to political government. And so God has established our church as um, as a client king over Korea. And so where is the borders for me for the Korean Peninsula? Starting from Jeju Island to uh, this region called Yeoju in, in Russia. Because I believe in the word of God. In the Mother Kingdom, I believe that this world will be divided according to the nations. And so there will be nations, races. And so this is uh, this is going to happen. Why? Because think about it. Uh, after Armageddon, there will still be the remnant of each nation. There will be remnant of Koreans. There will be remnant of Chinese, of Han Chinese people. Maybe some nations will be wiped away. Right, because after the World War and then Armageddon, right, there may be some countries that are wiped off from the face of the earth. And many people will be annihilated. Right? And so there will be tribes that are erased, but there will be nations. And these nations. Will be judged by our Lord Jesus Christ directly. Why he shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And so who are these strong nations far away? It's talking about the powerful nations that existed before the millennial kingdom. For example, maybe like the western countries that had a lot of strength. And so that means that even in the millennial kingdom, these nations will exist. Now that doesn't mean that they will be strong in the millennial kingdom, but they will exist and so God will judge them. And as they receive that judgment, how are they changed? They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And so they will not live by their greed any longer. And so they will recognize where their wickedness came from. 
And so nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And so finally, the system of Babylon, which worships strength, which worships power, disappears. And so because it disappears, there's no need to practice war. And so the kingdom of heaven gets embodied on earth. Don't you desire this kingdom? Oh, I yearn for this kingdom. I, I do not... I do not miss a day where I yearn for this nation, for this kingdom. That even now I'm casting my eyes to this vision because I'm going to reign in that millennial kingdom and it's the Lord that I'm going to meet with. So why would I always think about this world then? Why would I think about this earth? Isn't that the case? No, really. That's how I am. So let's continue. Verse 4. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. So it's in this day that truly you can possess what belongs to you. Because you do not live by your desire for possession, you are not afraid for someone stealing your things. And so what does that mean that there's abundance? It means that everyone gets transformed. And it's in this day that all the desires of Babylon disappear. There's no demons, demons, right? Right, Because demons will be um, um, imprisoned in the abyss, as it says in Revelation 19, right? That they will be imprisoned in the abyss for a thousand years. So how great would this, would it be, would life be? So when Jesus comes, there will be a great earthquake in Palestine. And there will be such another great earthquake that that destroys Babylon, as it says in Revelation 16. And everything that is made by the hands of man will be destroyed. And all of that trash, that rubble, will will get sucked up to heaven. So how beautiful will this earth be? Because there's no demons, there's no man-made things, and so the entire creation gets restored according to the wisdom of God. And the nation, and the world gets covered in good weather. And we will go with resurrection bodies. As it says in Zechariah 12, 8. Right? That in that day, that, that people will live as truly people, but those who are saved, who have resurrection bodies, will be like God. And so if you do not put on the resurrection of body, you will see the clear difference between those who have the resurrection body and those who don't. And so do you not yearn for this kingdom? So let's continue. And so though I'm preaching out of Micah, I'm actually combining all the various um, books. And so if you want to know more in detail, then look at our doctrine of the eschatology. And so everyone can possess their own tree. 
And this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Genesis. That there will no one who shall make them afraid. Because the desires of Babylon disappears. It's not that the world becomes a better place to live in. No, rather, that this filthy desires of Babylon gets wiped away from the hearts of man. And the reason why that they can enjoy this is because the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. That this is the time where God's word reigns over all men. How amazing is this day? Do you not yearn for this day? Or be in the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So if you're expecting that, then go to the, your dentist to prepare. Anyways, so verse 5. So here this word in Hebrew is key, which means four. So four, four, all the peoples walk each in the name of its God. And so, uh, the reason why we receive an inheritance is because we do not call to another God. Means that we do not live by idolatry. So those who will enjoy this glory are those who do not live by the desires of Babylon. That they do not call out to a different God. That they call to God and God alone. How amazing is this? And so it's those who have a right relationship with God, an upright relationship with God that will live and enjoy this glory. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. That we will rely on His name alone. That He is our everything. And these are the ones who will enjoy this glory in the Melon Kingdom. Amen? And so then, let's move on to verse 6. So in verse 6, again it says, In that day... So this means that the scene has changed. So the time has changed. So in that day, declares the Lord. And so up to verse 5, we've been talking about the Melon Kingdom. And so in order for this Millennial Kingdom to come, what will be done in preparation? And so what is God going to do to prepare for these this end times? And that's the time frame that we're seeing according to all the prophets. And so in order to establish his millennial kingdom, what is he going to do? He's going to gather his remnant. And this is the season that we are living in. That now is the time to gather the remnant. And we see who these remnant are clearly through this these verses. Who are the remnant? And I will assemble the lame. Who are the lame? Those who cannot live without relying on a walking stick. So those who have to rely on God. That is the definition of the remnant. As we said earlier in verse 5, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. So without God, they cannot survive. They cannot live. So this is talking about the humble, the weak. So when we talk about the humble, the weak, it's not because they are poor. 
It's not because they do not have power. Even Daniel was a humble man. That Daniel without God cannot live. He does not rely, he does not walk in the power and authority of Babylon. So this is the first definition of the remedy. Remnant. Those who rely on God. And the second are those who have been driven away. So this driven away, those who are on the fringes of society. What does that mean? That they are not following the trends of the world and that they are on the outside. They are on the outskirts. They do not live by the greed, the desires of Babylon. They are not, they are not in the center of, of the power and riches that Babylon seeks. They treat it as if it's nothing. All the amazing uh, fathers of faith were fringes, were people on the fringes. They have all been driven away by Babylon. Even Jesus himself was driven away by Babylon. And so if you yearn to be in the center of Babylon, then you cannot be a remnant. We need to die to that desire to be in the center of Babylon. So especially Korean parents, right? Even beginning at a young age, you spend so much money to teach your children English. Yeah. Hey kid, ch- baby, your father was not, did not have this opportunity. And so your father was unable to go higher. But you, my son, study. Study so that you can rise to the top. And so that I can write your coattails. And so they work hard and give lots of money, right? And so many of you have failed in this scheme. Right, you have all failed in this scheme. That's why you are here. Oh, uh, maybe you didn't fail. And the third thing is uh, uh, those who are, have been afflicted. Why are they afflicted? Because they live by the truth. If you live by the truth, you will be persecuted. If you do not live by the truth, you will not be persecuted. And that time is soon coming upon us. Even look all over the world, the trend. Not only in Iran, in in Middle East, in China. If they live by the truth, they will be persecuted. They will be afflicted. And it seems as if that this is only open to the Western world, but now is coming soon to Korea as well. That if we live by the truth, we will be persecuted. Amen. And this is the remnant. And so examine yourself, brothers. Am I the remnant? This must be clear to you. Okay, you should not think that, oh, I had no choice to, but to be the remnant. No, that's not the case. So verse 7. And the lame I will make the remnant. Again, the lame, right? And those who are cast off a strong nation. 
So those who rely on God, they in these end times will become a strong nation. And these are the ones who will receive the kingdom of heaven as an inheritance. And so brothers, soon this time will come upon us. So let us yearn for this kingdom. And so let's see who will be strong in the end. Amen. And so what does it say? And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And so though we have not been treated well by Babylon, but it's through them that Jesus Christ will reign over the nations. And so our glory truly begins when the Lord returns. And so our schedule, our goals must be attuned to this. And so it's okay to be persecuted on this earth. It's okay to be pillaged in this earth, right? What doesn't matter? What, what, how should you respond to that? That wait and see. That's how you should respond. Wait and see. Let's wait and see. Amen? So let's continue. Verse 8. And you, O tower of the flock. And so this tower is a place where you see where all your sheep is, right? As a shepherd. And this is, again, another word for Zion, for Jerusalem. And so what's going to happen to Zion? Hill of the daughter of Zion, you, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come. And so this former dominion, when it says former, it's talking about the order of time, right? And so it's talking about that dominion that came at first. And so this Jerusalem, this Mount Zion, that at that time when they were perfect, that time is coming again. It will be restored. And so even now, this world is being reigned over by the church. And that time of perfect dominion is going to be restored. And so this prophecy is has been fulfilled in Israel, right? As Amos 3.9 says, it, or it is the restoration of the tent of David, the booth of David. And so what does Amos, Amos see as the model of perfect, God, a perfect sovereignty of God? It is the time Israel spent in the 40 years in the wilderness. That was the perfect dominion of God, sovereignty of God. They never farmed. They didn't work. And yet for 40 years, God fed them, God clothed them. That is the model of God's dominion. And that glory will be restored in this day. Now, of course, that official restoration will happen in the millennial kingdom. 
But in order to prepare for that millennial kingdom, the remnant who are gathered, this Israel, will, will manifest this image. And so if you look at Zechariah 12, right before Armageddon, we'll see this happen directly to Israel. Right, The two witnesses will rise up in Israel. But to the Gentiles, when does this time frame apply? Is, is the prophecy of Zechariah 5. Uh, the church that has been divorced from the desires of Babylon to this glorious church, God is going to raise up in order to prepare for these end times. That is what is being spoken of here. That it shall come, the former dominion shall come. And as I always say, when a new nation is born it doesn't just happen all of a sudden out of nowhere for example before the Chosun dynasty rose up in Korea the, the system for that new nation uh, those who would the architects started to gather together right uh, militarily uh, they gathered around now also the philosophers would gather the scholars would gather to build uh, the nation right uh, and these people would gather around them and they would gather together and, come and hold hands and out of this current out of this flow they overcome the old kingdom of Koryo and build the new kingdom of Chosun. it's the same thing with the millennial kingdom this millennial kingdom doesn't just come out of nowhere in order for this kingdom to be established God is going to gather his people to build his system who are they? they are the remnant and as these remnant are gathered in this world they're going to all come and as they gather all over the world they are going to first manifest that dominion that sovereignty of God and through them the millennial kingdom is established and so what is the millennial kingdom then in other words the remnant prepare for that kingdom and they invite Jesus Christ to be king King, O King, receive this world. And so the remnant will lift up this world to the Lord. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? Without this wonder, what can motivate you to live as the remnant? So let's move on. Verse 9. So are you blessed, my brothers? Amen? Amen. 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 Can you see this kingdom? It's like a movie passing before my eyes. So how great is this? And so professors, when I talk about this, do you believe? When you, when you are in seminary, it's hard to believe this word. Do you believe? Oh, you believe? most scholars of the Bible don't believe how about you how about you Professor Chong don't lie don't lie if you're a professor it's hard for them to believe in this book. how about Dr. Kim do you believe 
Amen. Amen. Truly, a seminary is the enemy. But because our professors received the word from me, Kwangju, call Kwangju, see if he believes. Okay, anyways, let's continue. Verse 9. So now, it says now, meaning that the scene changes again. Okay, the time has changed. And so this time to establish the remnant is coming. And in that time, what's going to happen? So that's why it says, now, now why do you cry aloud? And so this destruction comes to Israel. And they're entering into tribulation. The world is entering into tribulation. Now, it may talk about things that have happened in the past. This may apply. But uh, we understand that that's not what this is talking about. This is applying to the tribulation that waits before Armageddon. And so now, why do you cry aloud in that affliction? And so, of course, they may be sad because of this destruction, but they should not be sad. Don't just simply cry aloud. Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pain seized you like a woman in labor? But don't just cry. What should you do then? As it says in verse 10, writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. And so though it's painful, it's time to give birth. It's time to give birth. If the woman doesn't give birth, she will die. And so what is this labor? As it says, for now, you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. And so that means to leave the city of religion and enter into the wilderness. And so if the church becomes the city of religion, it may seem comfortable and it may seem secure. And you may be afraid to leave. That's why it's such a danger to become the city of religion. The church must primarily be wilderness. The man of God are made in the wilderness. What is the wilderness? It is the place where you have to rely on God. That if you make a wrong step, you get bitten by a serpent. If you step in the wrong way this way, you get stung by scorpions. And so the church must be wilderness. And so now if you look at Acts, and the church gets established after the Pentecost the Holy Spirit comes but the church in Jerusalem which was the center of all Christian activity becomes the city of religion in just 20 years and what does this mean brothers it's not easy to uh, maintain that fullness that passion that fervor now of course ultimately this is in the hands of God's grace 
But what I'm trying to show you is that not only as a church, but also as an individual, that if we do not live by the Holy Spirit continually, then ultimately it doesn't matter how great your life has been in the past, one day you will become a city of religion unless you live filled with the Holy Spirit. And the secret to maintaining the fullness of the Holy Spirit every day primarily is to confirm that you are the church of God. Remember, I described the church of God this morning, right? What is the church of God? First of all, you can recognize it through the head pastor of that church. So, so you need to confirm for yourself, is that head pastor called to uh, shepherd the church of God? And so if you confirm that the church of God, then every day God provides all the nourishment needed to maintain the fullness of the Holy Spirit every day. One time, my daughters came to me and said, oh, I realize how happy my life is because God allows them to live by the fullness of the Holy Spirit every day. And so that's the importance of Zoom ministry. The God continually pours out everything needed to maintain the fullness of the Holy Spirit every day. How important is this purpose? But if you lose sight of this, in a moment, the church becomes, Jerusalem becomes the city of religion. And so what is the wilderness, right? What is Yarkin Church? It's the wilderness that you can't at any time get bitten by a serpent. And as we're coming to this new season, another tempest is stirring up in this church that if you do not live by faith, God will not leave you alone. This isn't my will. It's not my purpose. It's God's will. And right now, even now, this storm is rising up. And for the past 20 years, that's how God has been um, moving in Yervang Church. Every day maintaining this wilderness. That if you uh, close your eyes, you're not just simply... That if you close your eyes, you will get robbed of everything. But, okay, so it's okay. okay. So he used the Korean um, phrase where if you close your eyes and you open, it's so dangerous that the thief will steal your nose. But no, that's not how close it is. If you close your eyes, you, the thief will steal your spirit. So we need to go to the wilderness, but ultimately, that's not where we just stay. But you will dwell in the open country. And where do we go? We don't just stop there, but we go to Babylon. As it says in Jeremiah. Who is the remnant? Are the ones who remain in Israel the remnant or are the captives taken to Babylon the remnant? Who are the remnant? And as the prophet Jeremiah said, it is those who have been taken captive to Babylon who are the remnant. As they are taken captive, they lay down all that um, all that hope of Israel of the nation of Israel and rely on God alone to define them and so when they come back to Israel they are the remnant and so you shall go to Babylon there you shall be rescued from the hand of your enemies 
the Lord, there the Lord will redeem you. So this word redeem is the Hebrew word gar. It's not just simply a forgiveness of your sins, but that you have been restored your inheritance as a child of God. This glory of new creation. What is this gar speaking of? It is speaking of the perfection of your salvation. Meaning that all of your desires, all of your thoughts, all of your methods is laid down. That is how God is shaping up his remnant. Amen? Hallelujah. And then so now in verse 11, another scene. Now, and so now we have come upon the final moments. Now many nations are assembled against you. And so again, at the same time when Assyria conquered Israel, many nations gathered. And when Babylon conquered Jerusalem, in the same way, many nations made up that army. But now this is talking about how in Armageddon, all the nations of the world will gather to come against Israel. That is what the scene is. So now many nations are assembled against you saying, let her be defiled. Uh, and so, so look at what the devil is trying to accomplish and let our eye let her be defiled and so spiritually speaking the antichrist has gathered his army gathered his army I said this several years ago that in the past there was never a time where the principalities of the air would come together would be united but now all the principalities of the air are united they have come together what does this mean? it means that the time for the reign of the antichrist is coming because all these antichrists are gathering strength together they're gathering their strength together to rise up into their pinnacle and so that's why they are corrupting the church of God and even now trying to put to death the remnant and so they assemble against Israel to do what? to defile her that means to implant the world that is the reason why Israel is dead right that is the reason why the church dies is because they are defiled and so what is the life of the church it is holiness receiving the holiness that God gives every day as God says be holy for your, the Lord your God is holy and so our victory comes from purity even now the devil through the world is trying to defile you that is the reason why the devils have gathered together because they are trying to defile you but we are more than conquerors over this strategy of the devil why? because Jesus has given us all holiness and if he is for us who can cut us off from the love of God so the time for this victory is upon us Amen? and so because the nations are assembled together we also need to gather together that's what it's saying here 
so the nations want to defile Zion and to scaze upon defiled Zion and so even now in the remaining time Israel is being defiled but through the grace of God Israel is being prepared for victory and that victory needs to be maintained but they're unable to maintain it and so another battle is going to happen but to the very end Israel will be saved by God and so in the Bible only Israel is prophesied to be victorious until the very end but the church of the remnant as well will be included and so look at verse 12 but they do not know the thoughts of the Lord they do not understand his plan and so the nations of the world they think that they have assembled and that through their assembled strength that they can defile Israel, that they can destroy Israel. But them gathering itself is God's plan. So these devils, these demons, these principles of the heirs are assembling, but that's in order for God's will to be executed. And so they do not understand his plan that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. And so right during the time of Hezekiah, Assyria gathers a uh, army of the nations to try to conquer Jerusalem. Now remember, right now, when we go to Jerusalem, it's a big city. But at the time, the city of David was really small. And so 180,000 soldiers surrounding this small city, right? Think about how terrified the people would be. And yet, why did God gather them there? To easily destroy them. To destroy them as once. That's the scale of God. And so we, he does not blink. Even though 185,000 gathered to destroy Jerusalem, the presence of the Messiah is so strong that not a single arrow flies in the direction of Jerusalem. And overnight, all 185 die. And we will see this happen again in history. Oh, I hope to be in Israel at that time. Maybe something like this will happen during this conference. Okay, that's why we need to go to Israel once, at least once every year. Amen? Okay, because Jesus is going to come during the festival of the booth. That's why we're always trying to be in Israel during the time of the booth, the festival of the booth. So verse 13. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. And so though it seems as if the world is assembling its strength and that strength is being strengthened. And so when we look with our eyes, this is the reality. That darkness is getting stronger and stronger. And numerically, numerically speaking, this darkness is growing. But understand that this is all in God's plan. It's all God's will. And so there's no reason for us to fear that, that the remnant 
Though they may be small in number, God will strengthen them to be more than conquerors. So the kingdom of heaven is not based on numbers. You do not need many numbers. Actually, it's more a hassle the more you have. And so look, look, look at the strength that God gives to them. So, O daughter of Zion, arise and thresh. That they will have the strength to thresh all the nations. For I will make your horn iron. So horn is talking about your strength. So their strength will be as hard as iron. And I will make your hooves bronze. And so with these bronze hooves, you trample them. That is the promise of God. That we will trample scorpions and serpents. That we will disarm the devil. This is the uh, strategy that God has given us. And so even now in this day, uh, the most powerful church is going to manifest in this day. And this is the church of the remnant. Amen. And you shall beat in many pieces, in pieces, many peoples, and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. And so as they take this victory, they're going to lift up the spoils of war to God and say, Lord, this is for you, and the Lord will come. So who's going to follow after me, brothers? Amen. Let's lift high this flag of victory. So chapter 5 verse 1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. And so this word atta is here, is, 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 is absent from the Korean, but it says now. Now, now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Because the devil has assembled, we also need to assemble. The remnant needs to assemble. And that's why that is, this is the uh, key word for this conference. Okay, muster your troops, O daughter of troops. And so muster your troops. And so, in order to muster the remnant, God is using men like me to raise up the remnant all over the world. And as Revelations 11 says, the prophecy of the two candlesticks, that the remnant will be united, will be unified. So that's why it's so important that we are one body. So bless the person next to you. Muster, O daughter of truth. And so look, continue. Siege is laid against us. So these nations have assembled and they have laid siege. With a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. And so remember, the judge of Israel is the king. And when what is the striking? It is Jesus' death on the cross. And so when was the season for the remnant to gather? From the moment of Jesus' death on the cross, that the remnant are being gathered. And so for the past 2,000 years, this is what our Lord has been doing, as we'll see in the prophecy. 
And so the reason why Jesus suffered this ignominy of the cross is to gather the remnant. And so throughout the history of Christianity, this has been happening. And so in one as regards, the church for 2,000 years has been defiled, right? Through the Catholic Church, continually being powerless, being stripped of its power. And yet, throughout that 2,000 years at the same time, though they may have been few in number, history belonged to the remnant. And throughout history, this remnant has continued. And the evidence of that is that people like us exist today. If that flow was ever to be stopped, then we would not be here. But it's because that flow flowed throughout history that we are here. We have received that inheritance. And for this reason, God is going to restore the remnant or the truth of the early church through us and restore the glory of the early church. Frankly speaking, for the past 25 years, Zoe Ministry has been undergoing revival. Now, of course, throughout that time, many people have misunderstood and have fallen into despair. But for the past 25 years, God has been raising up this truth. And this raising up this truth is that revival. And now, of course, there was many battles and it was very difficult. And yet, for the past 25 years, we have been maintaining revival. And in that time frame, God has accomplished his work. For 20, for 25 years, we've been interceding and our children are being separated from the world. And through, through me, God is building up this Zoe ministry all over the world. This is fully because of God's grace and it is by his work, his hand that this is happening. And now the season is upon us where the fruit will be born. And it is time for our salvation to be perfected. Amen? Amen. And so I think if I continue, you it will be too much for you to bear. Oh, I do need to finish though. Okay, so first let's pray and then close the rest of chapter 5. And actually, not much time has passed by, and so let us pray. And so, Lord, help us to receive this millennial kingdom in faith. Are you tired, brothers? It's good, yes? So let us pray. Let us pray. That the kingdom of heaven. Okay, you do not want to be in the darkness outside the gate where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let us have faith that, Lord, you want to establish us as your priestly kings, that we want to see you face to face. Hallelujah. Amen. And this is easy. Why? Because it is God's promise for us. And we just have to believe in his promise that he has said you are priestly kings. And so in faith, bless the person next to you. That you are a priestly king. 
God did not promise your destiny to be those who are outside the gate where there's weeping gnashing of teeth. No, he has promised you to be priestly kings. And so let us pray for this. Don't pray for anything else. Right now, focus on this one thing. That, Lord, pour out your anointing that brings the fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah 47. The anointing of the king. The anointing, golden anointing. Pour it out. That confirm us as priestly kings will receive your kingdom as an inheritance. Let us all pray together. Pour more anointing out, Lord. Golden anointing. Golden anointing. More powerfully, Lord. of the king more anointing Lord more powerfully more full overflow let the kingdom of heaven come upon you muster O daughter of truth muster O daughter of truth more pour out powerful authority and power Lord do not fear the devil more overflow hallelujah more 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 receive in faith ask in faith get drunk on new wine Lord Okay, so let's finish the rest of chapter 5, yes? Let's just go over it really quickly. Okay, it's not because I want to finish. It's, just, it's because in order to move on, we need to go through the things that connect. And so now let's look at the prophecy regarding our Messiah. So remember that this um, that the rod has strike against the judge of Israel. This is prophecy of the Messiah. And so let's look at chapter 5, verse 2 to 6. Verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. And so Bethlehem was a very small town, small village. And so this small village has been glorified by the Catholic Church. 
And so Bethlehem Ephrathah means little, right? Small. And so this small is meaning insignificant. Meaning that there's no meaning to the city. Right? And as Isaiah 53 prophesies, that Jesus will seem insignificant. And yet, from here comes forth a ruler. Right? As Isaiah 9 prophesies in a similar way, that he is a ruler, he is the king. Right? And so from Bethlehem comes a ruler for me. Who, uh, who, who's coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And so old and from ancient days means from the root, from the source. And so uh, he is from the ancient of days. And so this is attesting to his divinity. that our Lord Jesus Christ is a son of God as Hebrews 1 says that he is the very image of the glory of God that he is the son of God amen and so his identity is that is the son of God as Colossians says that he is the creator that he is the ruler of the nations of the king of of the universe but the important thing verse 3 as we see therefore he shall uh, give them when she who is in labor has given birth and so this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Genesis that that the offspring of the woman will trample the serpent and so that this is again prophecy of the virgin birth so though he is the son of God he also comes in the flesh he comes in the body of a man so if you look at Romans chapter 13 right he is clothed in the flesh he is clothed in the sarks means that he came in the same conditions circumstances as you and me though he has the identity as the son of God he lives in the same way as you and me and so the fact that he was clothed in the flesh is so important why did he put on the body of a man is because in order to fulfill the requirement to save us because only man can pay for the sins of man and so secondly he also became man in order to taste death as it says in Hebrews 2 that he uh, has overcome and destroyed the power of death by dying by dying he died for us and because he was without sin that death could not claim him and as it says in Hebrews 5 8 that he became the model for us that those who believe in me will do the same works as me not only these but will do greater things and that's why he had to come as man in other ways he was more limited than us he was more disabled than us right because think about it he had enjoyed the power and authority of a god and yet he gave this up and so he came as the same man as you and me amen
So look at how terrifying this prophecy of Micah is. Look at how terrifyingly accurate it is. So he came as men because if because without this savior man cannot deal with their sins and so remember that what was the pride of Israel during the Old Testament times though Israel could not solve their sins yet they had the privilege to sacrifice to appease and atone for those sins right and that's why they needed the temple look at the Jews today they're always dressed in black why because without the temple they have no way to atone for their sins and so of course those sins weren't completely dealt with they weren't solved it's only when Jesus Christ came on this earth that he could perfectly atone for those sins and he came as man in order to perfectly atone for our sins and as it says in Romans 6 that being free from sin means that there is no problem any longer this is the most powerful and perfect good news that a man can receive you are free from sin and if you believe that you are free from sin there is no issue that can tie you down it's because you do not believe that you are tied down because all problems all sufferings is rooted in sin and so if you are free from sin you are free from all suffering and so let's say look at this let's say you don't have money maybe you don't have money but it no longer becomes a source of suffering in your life why because I have no relationship to sin and so when we receive this in faith we are no longer living under the limitations of man amen and this is the reason why you must be born again if you are not born again then ultimately your life is continually tied to this suffering of life and so when Paul proclaims in Romans 6 that you are free from sin he's not whispering it no he is proclaiming it in faith that you are free from sin that you are no longer tied you are no longer shackled to the desires of Babylon and so you need to receive this proposition as truth and yet many times you are bound you are weighted down by the problems and you are continually afflicted by these things it means that you are unable to fully believe in the freedom of sin bought and won by the blood of Christ that is what you need to see for yourself if you are unable to receive this you keep thinking that oh it's because I don't have money that I have these problems and these people it's because of these people that I have these problems it's because of the limitations of my identity that I always have to be shackled in this darkness even though God has given you this good news 
But you're unable to believe. That's what the gospel is all about. And so all we have to do is receive that gospel. And when we receive that gospel, the glory of his word manifests inside of me. And his glorious spirit considers me his dwelling place. And that's what's inside of you. And yet you are unable to be unshackled from the desires of this world. It's because you have not yet proclaimed your freedom from sin. And so in faith, proclaim it tonight. And when you proclaim this authority, you will confirm you being born again. You are confirming the glory of the gospel. That's why you need an event on the road to Damascus. This doesn't take time. It doesn't take effort. Just meet with God. Just meet with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you meet with the Lord Jesus Christ, this perfect declaration is proclaimed inside of you. So if you are free from sin, what does it mean? It means that death has no claim over you. And it means that death has no reign over you. It means that only life reigns in me. And so no issue of Babylon can weigh me down. This is the kingdom of heaven. Amen? And so, uh, the, and the rest of his brothers shall return. And so the Messiah came for what? For whom? For the remnant, so that the brothers can return. And how terrifying is this prophecy? Even Isaiah says the same thing, that Jesus came in the current of the remnant. That Jesus came to establish his remnant. And so if we look at this from the perspective of soteriology, the doctrine of salvation, Jesus saves to establish the heirs of God. His salvation. When we talk about Christology, we know this clearly. He suffered and the glory of his suffering is what? It's not just simply so that you can go to heaven. No. No. He suffered on the cross so that you can be reclaimed as God's heir, as God's son, as a new creation, as a holy being, that your source is the same as him, that he, you are the glory of his praise. That has what that is what is fulfilled by his sacrifice. And who does this apply to? It applies to the remnant. And so who are the remnant? It is those who, these, these glorious beings who believe in everything that he has done. How simple is that? And so the Bible is focused on who? Not just simply people who are going to heaven. No, we need to get removed. We need to get rid of these chips. We need to remove these chips. When he came to this earth, he came to establish his remnant. Amen? So moving on to verse 4. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And so, according to Isaiah, he lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. But Micah is saying, the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the Lord. What is this talking about? You cannot separate these things from the Holy Spirit. And so, he lived as man. And yet, 
as man, all of his power was manifested through whom? Through the Holy Spirit. Amen? I do not need to go over this again, right? So though he is the same man as you and me, he emptied himself. And by emptying himself, he lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he, be, he lived by the Holy Spirit. And what did he do? He shepherded his flock. By relying on the Holy Spirit, he shepherded his flock by being a model to his sheep. And so I am, I as well am a shepherd, right? And it's the same thing. That is my lifestyle. I live relying on the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit leads me, the flock follows after me. That's what Jesus Christ did. And through this, that uh, we remain in Christ, right? That, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And so, yeah, and uh, he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And so all of these are being established, right? The church is being established, and so they shall dwell secure. And so uh, this is his ministry, right? So moving on to verse 5. And he shall be their peace. And so this is uh, the masculine pronoun, right? He. And so from verse 2 to verse 4, it was regarding the Messiah, his divinity, his humanity, and his ministry is all described here in verses 2 to 4. And now what is he going to do? What is his work? His work is to be their peace. Shalom. Complete victory. And what is this complete victory? When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces. And so again, this us, our land, it means Israel's land, right? Primarily Israel. It means Israel. And this Assyria is talking about the world, talking about devil, right? These empires. So what's going to happen when they tread in our palaces? We shall rise against him seven shepherds. And who is this we? Again, primarily Israel, but not just Israel, but the remnant. And, and who will these remnant employ? Seven shepherds and eight princes of men. So who are these seven shepherds and eight princes of men? This is again referring to the man who shall be their peace, uh, the Messiah. And so this is Micah's expression. Who is this Messiah? That this, what is this relationship that you have with the Messiah? Is to be able to invite these seven shepherds, these eight princes at any time. Even if you just have one good shepherd, the flock will will prosper but there are seven good shepherds which means perfect prosperity even with just one prince one righteous prince the kingdom will flourish but eight perfect number eight so we are completely protected nothing can trample us we are the remnant right and the world comes to trample us then what should we do 
Invite the Messiah. Employ the Messiah. These seven shepherds, these eight princes, we invite him in and we will trample, we will destroy Assyria. So there's no reason to fear. It's because you live by your strength, your influence. That's why you fear. So verse 6. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword. And the land of Nimrod as its entrance. So Nimrod, we see who Nimrod is in Genesis, right? Okay, Nimrod was the prince that was died and then separate and then uh, his mother uh, cut him up into pieces to send to the nations as to be uh, like a god, right? And so from this moment began this idolatry of this mother and the son, right? The mother and the son. This is talking about Catholicism. And so these remnant shall, as they are shepherded by this Messiah, they will destroy Nimrod and Assyria. So chapter five is talking about chapter five or verse five is talking about political Babylon, but verse six is talking about. In uh, Revelations 10, the uh, the religious Babylon. And so the remnant, if they live with Jesus, they will be victorious from political Babylon, Antichrist, and they will also be victorious over religious Babylon, the great prostitute. So this is the conclusion of the prophet of of all the prophecies regarding the remnant, and that's why God is restoring the early church's true system in us, and as we've been continually fighting this authoritarian power has been growing inside of us. And now all that's left is for us to be more than conquerors. Amen? And this authority is as was described earlier, these horns of iron. And so let us believe in this victory. Amen? This is the authority given to the church. As it says in Ephesians 1.20. 1. Right, there's Lucifer, Antichrist. All of these things, we have the authority to trample over. Amen? That we trample serpents and scorpions and we disarm the armaments of the devil. Amen? That as we remove all the chips of the great prostitute, we restore the glory of the church. All of these, the fulfillment of these prophecies are rising up within us. Amen? And so let's continue. Verse 7. And so as he speaks of the remnant, then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples. So there are many churches, many Israels, and yet we are in the midst of them. And so it's not all Israel, all the churches that are the remnant, but they are in the midst of them. Amen? And like dew from the Lord. 
And remember that this is the primary, primary source of life in the wilderness of Israel, is the dew, right? So this life. And like the showers, like the showers on the grass, which delay not from a man, right? Israel lives by the early and latter rains. And so the remnant, the remnant are like, are this, they are like life. And they are like the source of God's promise, which is the latter and early rains, early and latter rains. This is the remnant. They are, have this life force, and they, so they are important. So without the remnant, the Lord will not return. He will just judge the world. And so in this way, we are the life for this world. We are the hope of life. Even now, with this promise for the remnant, God is fulfilling his prophecies. Amen? So let us understand and see how important it is for this remnant to exist. And so, that waits for no man, which will not delay for man and not wait for the children of man. And so they do not move based on the whims of man. If the man wants this, it does not move. No, it only moves according to the will of God. It's not moved by Babylon. So this is the faith that we need to have, brothers. Look at your nobility. Look at your honor. This is what you should have, this confidence that how dare the Babylon try to move me. Moving on to verse 8. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations in the midst of many peoples. And so verse 7 was regarding Israel. And verse 8 is now talking about the remnant of the Gentiles. And so there shall be a remnant among the many peoples, the nations, like a lion among the beasts of the forest. And so write the Lion of Judah. And so the uh, remnant church has the strength of a lion. And like a young lion among the flocks of sheep. And so though they are like sheep, they are a lion. They're not just a lion, they are, or they're not just a lamb, they are super lamb. Amen. Which when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces and there's none to deliver. All power and authority we tear to pieces, right? And so that's why Ensip's mascot is what? The Lion of Judah. And so Ensip, let's roar like a lion. Okay, ready? Okay, if you don't do it right, we're going to continue until you do it right. So get ready, go. Are you a cat or a dog? No, not like that. One more time. Sergio. Sergio, you be an example. Be an example. Okay, be an example. Show them. Show them the example. Okay, answer. Oh, I don't like it. But anyways. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries and all your enemies shall be cut off. 
And so just as when Moses' hands was lifted up, the Amalekites were annihilated. This is talking about the power of the prayer of the remnant. So when your hands are lifted high, you will be victorious. Amen? As it says in 1 Timothy, that in all over the world, uh, the remnant shall lift up holy hands. This is the power of your prayer to open the gates of heaven automatically. Do you believe, brothers? Then, so from verse 10 to verse 15, we're almost finished. Hallelujah. Verse 10, and in that day declares the Lord, again, in that day, I will cut off your horses from among you and will destroy your chariots. And as we said earlier, it's the destruction of Lachish. These remnant do not live by the power of Babylon. They do not live by the desires of Babylon. This season is upon us. This season is going to be fulfilled in us that we do not live by the strength of Babylon. That is who God is raising up. That the church that fulfills the prophecy of Zechariah 5 is rising up. So for the past 25 years, that's how God has been raising up Zoe ministry. This is how God has prepared us. He has showed us that glory. He has poured out that power. He has shown us these things. Think about just the money that Zoe Ministry has spent. We have spent more than $700 million. Is that from us? No. We cannot afford that. Even now, it's going to continue. It's not the money that we make that we're going to spend. So even just from money itself, we can see that it's not by our strength. Amen? So look, even now, these remaining conferences that are planned, we got to spend more than $4 million. Every conference, we're selling a, a building, basically. And so the remnant do not live by Babylon. We do not need to live by the strength of Babylon, by the power of Babylon. If, you, if, it, if the Bible says the righteous shall live by money, then I'll live by money. But what does it say? The righteous shall live by faith. All we need is faith. Let us go into the Sabbath of faith. Amen. Verse 11. And I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds. So the strongholds in ancient times were, were named after various peoples. So this is talking about cutting off honor, cutting off fame. Okay. Um, there is no fame to the remnant. Our fame belongs to Jesus Christ. Jesus alone deserves all the honor. So verse 12, And I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. Again, cutting off idolatry. And so in these end times, what is this talking about? That the remnant shall not have the desires of Babylon. Amen, amen, amen. So look, look now. What are you to repent of? 
Repent of the desires of Babylon inside of you. When you are able to repent of these things, all like the prophecy of Zechariah 5, finally that community will be separated from Babylon. Verse 13, And I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you, and you shall bow down no more to the works of your hands. Again, this prosperity gospel. In these end times, what is idolatry? Idolatry is the worship of money. All we need is from God. Everything that we need comes from God. To those who possess the riches of heaven, do not live by the riches of man. Do not live by the riches of this world. God gives riches. Amen? And so as the same thing in verse 14. And I root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. And so again, we talked about the desire for honor, the desire for fame, the desire for success, and the desire for idolatry. All of this is being destroyed. And lastly, verse 15, and in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. And so all the desires of disobedience is being annihilated, is being wiped out. What is the nation that is disobedient? It is your kingdom in within you. Your kingdom that is within you cannot obey the kingdom of heaven. If you have this kingdom inside of you, you cannot submit to the kingdom of heaven. And so this season, to those who destroy that kingdom inside of them, they are the remnant. And so, brothers, let us destroy my kingdom within us. And so I laid my hands upon you earlier, and we pray. And so inside of us, we have this power, this power of God. And so let this power explode from within us. And so these strongholds within us be wiped away by that power. That, Lord, meet me in your glory that I can have this event on the way to Damascus. Clearly, this remnant do not have their kingdom, do not have my kingdom inside of us. And so who shall stand as the remnant? Who will be part of the troop that is mustering? Brothers, let us be warriors. We are all warriors who will have this victory in this end times. And so as we pray, brothers, God will pour out this power and authority. God will pour out the majesty of this king, of this prince. And so all we have to do is believe in this promise, that this promise of being priestly kings, that we will see him face to face, this holy bride, this priestly king, This is the only promise that we live for. This alone is our motivation. This alone is our goal. The resurrection of glory. Believe. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so, when we pray, powerful anointing will be poured out upon you. This kingly anointing will be poured upon you. Believe. It's about faith. Who is the remnant? The remnant are those who receive the word of the remnant in faith. And so, Lord, as we pray tonight, Lord, may my kingdom come crumbling down. And Lord, may you enter into my heart and from within me, Lord, may you take your throne, be seated on your throne within me and reign over me. And so the remnant who is here today, let them rise up as your glorious generation. May they rise up as your great army. Your 
remnant that can offer this world up to you in these end times. Believe. Believe, O oh daughter of truth. Believe in this promise. Arise, remnant. Oh, hallelujah, Lord, we thank you. Lord, help us to believe in this word that tonight as they pray, may their kingdoms come crumbling down. May their kingdoms be completely toppled and in their hearts, may you take your place on your throne and you alone be their king. You alone be their everything. And so, Lord, may we live by you. And on that day when your glorious kingdom comes, Lord, grant us the holiness that we can see you face to face. Establish us as your glorious bride. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Lord, pour it out upon them. Pour it out upon them.